Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your words and we ask that your spirit be with us this morning so that they might transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the letter to the Colossians. This is a letter that's allegedly written by Paul, but just as likely could have been written by one of Paul's disciples. After all, Paul never met the Christians of Colossae, and as we will see in the coming weeks, this letter is focused almost entirely on Christology, meaning the understanding of Jesus as Christ, and soteriology, meaning the understanding of salvation, using language that is fairly unique compared to the rest of Paul's letters. But our passage today seems to fit right in with Paul's style of writing. It begins with an opening that is very Pauline, a greeting from Paul, and in this case from Timothy as well, that includes a customary extension of grace and peace from God our Father. Then comes the part that I find so very Pauline. It is in fact reminiscent of the language that first caused me to truly fall in love with Paul's writings. Paul writes, In our prayers for you, 
we always thank God. Now the version that first hooked me is actually found in the letter to the Philippians where Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. This version from Philippians feels more personal and more emphatic, but keeping in mind that Paul has never actually met the people that he's writing to in this letter to the Colossians, the slightly less effusive language makes a bit of sense. And even so, we can see the commonalities in the language. With the Philippians, people that Paul knows and deeply loves, he prays with joy on every remembrance of them. Whereas with the Colossians, Paul has to be a little more intentional in making sure that he prays for them. But even so, he always does it with joy. And why does he pray with joy for the Colossians? Well, because of that classic Pauline triad of faith, hope, and love. Paul has heard good things about the community or about the faith of the community in Colossae. So he gives joyful thanks to God. He's heard about how much love they have toward one another. So he gives joyful thanks to God. And he knows that God will re reward their faith and love with hope. So he gives joyful thanks to God. And perhaps it's worth pausing for a second to acknowledge why this thankful prayer is so important. Paul's letters, at least the ones that were preserved for the scriptural canon, are never written just to tell a community, good job, you've nailed it, keep on doing what you're doing. When Paul has to write someone, it means there's conflict. It means there's disagreement about the teachings of Christ. It means that there's a correction needed. But Paul is modeling for us that in disagreement, we have to discipline ourselves to see the good in others. The only time in Paul's letters that he does not mention this type of joyful prayer is in his letter to the Galatians, when we see him at his most fiery and fed up. So good news, even Paul is human and slips up on occasion. But the point is this. Whenever Paul is called, to settle, called upon to settle a dispute, he begins in prayer. He gives thanks for those to whom he is writing. And no doubt this practice helped him to remember the image of God in others. But he still has the task of calling them beyond where they are now. He's still trying to help people through the tension of their faith as it is and their faith as it should be. We'll see in the coming weeks that the Christians in Colossae are facing that ever-present danger of worshiping forces other than God. And so today we see Paul explaining why he offers prayer for the Colossians. He prays that they may be filled with knowledge and understanding of God's will, he prays so that they may lead lives worthy of the Lord, lives that are not just philosophical ascent, but that bear fruit through good work. And he prays that they may have strength to endure hardship through God and Christ, who res rescue us from the powers of darkness so that we might be citizens of a new kingdom. 
In other words, Paul is praying about matters of the highest importance and the utmost urgency. He isn't just writing to tell them what they should believe, but how they ought to live their lives. And what's more than that, he's calling into question the loyalties that keep them comfortably connected with the people around them. And he knows that he's inviting them into trouble by doing these things, which is why he needs to also pray for their strength. The Pauline message is one of a completely integrated life centered on Christ. This call to radical transformation and rejection of other powers and loyalties provoked defensiveness and factionalism in his world. There's a reason that Paul spends so much of his time in prisons. There's a reason that other people of faith so frequently chase the Christ followers from their communities. The message of the gospel upsets the status quo. It presents a danger to those who are living comfortably in the way that things are. And so, Paul models for those who hear the message he proclaims, the centrality of prayer. Last week, we heard him close his letter to the Galatians by boasting of nothing except the cross. This week, he begins with a word of prayer. In times of conflict, in times of stress, in times of uncertainty, it becomes more essential than ever that we focus not on our own will, but on the will of God. Let me give you an example of where this teaching was clearly visible for me recently. At annual conference this year, we were dealing with matters of tremendous importance for the church. We were discerning a way forward for Methodism in the state of Michigan. And just like the communities to which Paul wrote, we were not in agreement about the teachings of the gospel. There were clear factions that had formed within our connection. Now, even under the best of circumstances, annual conference is a straining experience that tests the limits of human patience. Some days are nearly 14 hours of sitting in a conference center, casting votes, listening to debates and teaching moments. So now, add into that grueling schedule questions about our very identity, questions about what it truly means to be Christ followers, and perhaps you can imagine how under such circumstances, it's easy to start forgetting about the image of God in those around you. Perhaps you can imagine how people can step up to the microphone and refer to their siblings in Christ as monsters. And perhaps you can imagine the harm done to the entire body of Christ in such situations. This is why this year it felt particularly important to me to withdraw as regularly as possible to the designated prayer space at annual conference. It was essential for me to take a step back from the politicking and the factionalism to pause and listen for the word of God. So a friend and I made sure that every day we made time for at least a morning, midday, and evening prayer. We would ride the elevator together to the top of the building, step into the stillness of prayer, and allow God to remind us 
of the goodness of our siblings in Christ. Often we prayed in silence. Occasionally we pulled up a liturgy on our phones to pray together. But no matter how we prayed, the prayer reoriented us on Christ. It gave us the patience to do the difficult, messy work of the church in a way so that we could disagree with our siblings in Christ without villainizing them. And as our nation navigates this time of extreme polarization, it's essential for us as Christians to model the essential nature of prayer for the community at large. We need to spend more time in prayer and less time listening to partisan talking heads in order that we might be reminded of our essential unity as the family of God. We need to spend more time in prayer asking what Jesus would do and last time, asking what our political parties want us to do. And perhaps, most importantly of all, we need to spend more time in joyful prayer for those we disagree with. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be happy when white supremacists march through our streets, but I am saying that we need to figure out how to give thanks for the gift of life that is within them. If we cannot learn how to pray until we see the image of God within even our most bitter rivals, then we cannot know how to nurture the part of them that is desperate to respond to the grace of God. Because our hope is not in the faith that we have in Christ. Our hope is not in the love that we have for our neighbors. Our hope comes directly from God, who teaches us to have faith and who shows us how to love. So let us never stop praying. Let us constantly be reminded of the hope God gives to us by turning to the Lord in prayer. And let us always find a way to give thanks for those we don't agree with. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Wellspring of hope, teach us how to be still. Center us in your love. Remove the tribalism from our souls and unite us in your body. Amen.